So we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled, You Asked For It. Um, so you remember in the season of Lent, we put it out there. If you could hear one sermon on any topic or scripture, what would it be? And so the responses that floated to the top, uh, we've been preaching on those. Um, well, today is creation evolution. Uh, it seems a lot of you... Um, struggle with that uh, question. It's a big question. Uh, one of you even said, uh, how can we reconcile traditional Earth-focused faith with the expanding universe as revealed by the Webb Telescope? That question sent me to NASA's website and a lot of uh, fun discoveries there. So, creation versus evolution. Uh, it's a big question. And it, it's actually not a bad starting point when it comes to conversations about our faith. Now, every year in our confirmation class, um, you know, we start with some introductions. This is what the year is going to be. This is the journey that we're going to be on. But right out of the gate, uh, we start with the doctrine of God. And that big question is, who is God? Now, we spend several weeks on uh, the topic of God because you can learn all there is to know about God in, in three weeks, right? Um, no, but it's a Trinitarian conversation. Uh, so it's not long before uh, our conversation uh, takes us to, to Genesis, uh, that, that we talk about God as being uh, the creator uh, of all things. Now, over the years, without fail, um, in these confirmation classes, uh, for decades that I've been teaching them, a student will inevitably ask, Pastor Keith, what about evolution? What about the Big Bang? And I remember the first time that happened, I know I had like that deer in the headlights look. I don't know if my tongue was hanging out of my mouth, but I was like, sheesh, I should have been ready for this. But my typical uh, response um, now is to open the Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and read. Then God said, let there be light. And bang, there was light. That's my explanation. And just to say, there are possibilities. You know, we read our, our account in Genesis and We've lived with it, some of us, for our whole lives, and it feels a certain way, and it reads a certain way, and then we encounter something from the, the world of science, and uh, there can be some friction there. How do we reconcile these things? And it comes out in the questions of our, our 12 and 13-year-olds in, in, in confirmation class, um, and it doesn't always have to be an either-or, right? Now, John Wesley's theology, it jives with that. Uh, Wesley... Um, the strong conviction uh, about uh, creation and, and how life began, like there's God and there is matter. Um, well, his conviction that God is the only eternal, uh, therefore, um, God created ex nihilo, or uh, out of nothing. There wasn't anything that God started with. Uh, God spoke and things just happened. Uh, there, there's also, uh, in this conversation or in this debate 
um, this creation versus evolution. On, on one end of the spectrum is this group called the Young Earth uh, Creationists. They, uh, there's a website, Ken Ham is the president of this group called AnswersInGenesis.org. And so I learned about this group and uh, I went to their website to kind of get a sense of, of their conviction. And, and this, is, this is, you know, some of the things that they're saying. Similar to what Wesley was saying, the Creator did not need matter, large amounts of time, energy, or anything else. He created out of nothing in six literal normal length days about 6,000 years ago. And all that stuff is, is pretty critical to, to their stance on this. They say, according to Scripture, God created the heavens and the earth fully formed and functioning in six days about 6,000 years ago. The context of Genesis 1, as well as other places in the Bible, make it clear that these days were ordinary 24-hour days. God's original creation was perfect, with no death or suffering. Creation stands in stark contrast to evolution and unbelieving thought. So these young earth creationists believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And they come up with this by... Um, doing some math, they, starting with Adam uh, and Eve in the genealogies that are found in, in the book of Genesis, they, they do the math with all of these generations, and, and they, they, they back it up to, uh, to, to Adam and Eve when they were created, and that comes to about 6,000 years ago, they say. So their strong conviction is that the Bible and science aren't compatible, and that, that they never will be. And so I think that the Bible is at, is at the heart of this, and maybe it's, it's also at the heart of our struggle uh, when we think about these two things, uh, and maybe how different they are or how different they seem. And I think one thing that happens with this group, and maybe with us to some degree, is we become a little bit defensive. Um, it's, you know, this is our Bible. This is this is the way I have always understood it. This is what it, it actually says in these pages of, of Genesis. And so I have to defend that interpretation or um, I, have to, I have to try to make it fit. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what these folks are doing. So, um, all right, a little plug for a book. Uh, and, and I know that I've used this book before some years ago when we talked about um, you know, how we hold our Bible and trying to understand our Bible. Because it's a very complicated book, but it's our book and it's our sacred book. So anyway, this is an Adam Hamilton book called Making Sense of the Bible, Rediscovering the Power of Scripture Today, affirming the importance of our Bible, um, um, but, but also taking an honest look at it. Um, so I, I recommend you reading it. It's a nice, thick book, but there's so much in here. As I have reread this book to, to kind of get ready for today, um, it just reminded me of what a good resource this is. Now, you may not agree with everything uh, that's said here, but I, I resonate with a lot of it. So uh, in, in this book, there's a, a chapter on science, the Bible, and the creation stories. And that's what I knew was there, and that's why I took it off my shelf again. Um, but one of the things that Hamilton uh, says is, is that this, this group of creationists and those who stand in that place, that they start with a conclusion, and then they force all the ob observable data from science uh, and the scientific methods uh, and try to make it fit into that conclusion that comes out of their understanding of Genesis. He says, modern science, on the other hand, is built upon a scientific method that starts with a question and follows with observation and reflection. 
that leads to a hypothesis that you can then test or you can prove or dis disprove until it's sub substantiated. So conclusions come at the end of a process of observation of the physical world. Um, and the scientific method seeks to explain the, the observable universe in terms of natural processes. And so this, uh, science isn't worried about um, asserting or denying the existence of God. Um, they're, they're dealing with facts. And so you've got uh, the creationists who start with the scripture, and it's like what Genesis says is what God says. It's like God was the only one uh, present at creation. So God is the one eyewitness. God spoke this to Moses, and Moses wrote it down. And so therefore, this account in Genesis um, is the word of God, and it's the authoritative source, uh, not anything that the scientific field uh, you know, can, uh, can come up with. So like a whole other sermon could be preached on uh, the actual uh, story of, of Genesis as we have it. Actually, who did write it? Who was the author? Um, the fact that there were Mesopotamian creation stories that are very similar and talk about the dates of those, it gets kind of complicated. But those are important conversations to have. So I would encourage you, if you're struggling with it, uh, to look closely at the genre of the, the books in our Bible and all that. So, but, but science, uh, some of the things that he pointed out, and I have been to a lot of different websites, um, and, and Hamilton encapsulates uh, uh, it. Most scientists believe that the Earth was, was formed four and a half billion years ago out of stellar dust left from, the left from the formation of our sun. Water came to our planet with the help of comets and asteroids and chemical reactions over the next billion years. After that, simple single-cell life forms began to develop. About five million years ago, an explosion of multi-cell life forms developed called the Cambrian Explosion. Dinosaurs roamed the Earth from 230 million years ago to about 65 million years ago. Uh, a major event happened, maybe an asteroid striking the planet. There was a mass extinction. Two million years ago, roughly, pre-human hominids evolved. Over the next 1,900,000 years, they evolved through uh, or 1,900,000 years, evolved through a process of genetic mutation, and on it goes. Uh, talking about nature favoring those with larger brain cavities. Um, and so, uh, anyway, there's this process of, it's another thing to study, what scientists have discovered, uh, anthropologists have discovered, archaeologists have discovered, um, ab about these human-like creatures and the information that we have from that. So, what do we, what do, we do with all that? You've got what science is discovering, um, methods of dating, carbon-14 dating, uh, stuff like that. Um, how do we reconcile our convictions about what we believe uh, in Scripture uh, with what modern science tells us? I, I say this a lot. I don't want to oversay it, but it matters how we hold our Bible and how we interpret it. And I think it's maybe important not to hold it too tightly. Uh, we don't lose the sacredness of it. And we've talked about this before. Uh, it's our sacred book. It's the word of God. Um, and that means different things to different people. So your question about the, the, the Webb telescope and um, how, f how much farther it can go and how much more it can see, I was curious about that and wanted to learn about that. And so I went to NASA's website and on NASA's website, I discovered John C. Mather. Now, listen to this guy. Nobel Prize in Physics, senior astrophysicist, 
Observational Cosmology Laboratory in NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Really smart guy. And so, he starts out this article, this, this, this uh, blog or article that I read on NASA's website, um, talking about how the Big Bang as a name, it's, it's misleading scientists and philosophers and the general public, and has been since the very beginning in 1949. Um, so he's like this idea that the Big Bang conjures up like the image of a, of a firecracker, like at one point there's an explosion, which is kind of what I was leaning into with the confirmation class. Like, you know, God speaks and there's light. Like there's this, there's this beginning, there's this center, there's this point in time. Um, and so this big bang, uh, matter says like this, this firecracker that there is this, this, uh, uh, this beginning, this, this place, this center, um, that, that that's not really what's going on. He's like, it's so exactly opposite to what astronomers have observed. He says that it's shocking that we're still using the name Big Bang. I'm like, okay, my education is starting. So he's like, what he's saying that astronomers are actually discovering is that distant galaxies, lots of them, all appear to be receding from us with a speed roughly proportional to their distance. And that we've known this since like 1929. So in the scientific world they've known uh, for, for a long time uh, that you can doing this math with you all know I'm not a math guy um, I'm also not really a science guy so you got to take all of this uh, understanding that that the approximate age of the universe you get it by dividing the distance uh, by the speed and they say that the current value is around 14 billion years old something quite different from 6,000 years old so uh, he says the second and more striking conclusion is that there's no center of this expansion. Uh, there's no sign of an edge to the universe. And so one thing that I thought was really interesting and actually helpful to me, says since the universe did not spring into existence, it has always existed, though perhaps not in its current form. That's true even though the apparent age of the universe is not infinite, but only very large. And even though there's no first moment of time, we can still measure the age. Now, I hear a statement like that, and I was like, well, they don't really know. <laughs> but this very next sentence is what really I liked. There's still plenty of mystery to go around, which just tells me that the scientists, I think they're trying to figure it out, uh, just like we are. Now, I, I thought uh, what Hamilton says about me understanding my Bible uh, was also very helpful. And I don't want to just read you some of that uh, about our, our creation story. You know, there's two of them. We have two creation stories um, in Genesis 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. He says, Genesis is majestic. Genesis 1 is majestic, beautiful, and poetic. It's not a lesson in cosmology. It's a creed. It's not a science lecture. It's poetry. Each day in Genesis begins with, and God said, after which God then brings something into existence. And then it was so, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, and he brings something into existence, and it was so, and God saw that it was good, and it was evening, and it was morning, and it was the second day, and it was the third day. And so Hamilton says it makes a claim not about scientific knowledge, but about truth and theology. George Thompson has always said that to our confirmation class. Like, Genesis is about theology, 
not about history. Uh, there is a God, there is a, a good and glorious God, that creation is good, that we, both men and women, were made in God's image, that life is a gift, that God is the rightful ruler of all things, as a creed, a hymn, a praise of God, and a theological lesson about the ultimate nature of existence. Like, that's what it is. But as a scientific text, no. And so he poses the question, why not? Why can't it also be a scientific text? And he says, because being a document written by, and at least initially, to pre-scientific people, it tells what late Bronze and Iron Age people of the ancient Near East believed about the order of creation. When we treat this text as a scientific account, we miss the point. And he says, we end up with bad science. And I thought it might be nice to, to end this sermon with what our United Methodist denomination uh, says about all of this uh, in our social principles. I would encourage you to read those things too. But this is in our social principles about science and technology. We recognize science as a legitimate interpretation of God's natural world. We affirm the validity of the claims of science in describing the natural world and in, and in determining what is scientific. We preclude science from making authoritative claims about theological issues and theology from making authoritative claims about scientific issues. We find that science's descriptions of cosmological, geological, biological evolution are not in conflict with theology. We recognize medical, technical, and scientific technologies as legitimate uses of God's natural world when such use enhances human life and enables all of God's children to develop their God-given creative potential without violating our ethical convictions about the relationship of humanity to the natural world. We re-examine our ethical convictions as our understanding of the natural world increases. And this, listen to this. We find that as science expands human understanding of the natural world, our understanding of the mysteries of God's creation and word are enhanced. This guy named uh, Johnny Cochran, he gave this analogy that I liked. Any craftsman can build a chair but how many can design a chair that builds itself and improves over time? Evolution doesn't diminish God's glory. It actually magnifies God's glory. So, a confirmation class student will say, Pastor Keith, creation or evolution? And I usually respond these days, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, thanks be to God.